So today I'm meeting with Anne Van Sant. Anne is Professor Emeritus at physical, the Physical Therapy Program at Temple University and is Editor-in-Chief Emeritus of uh, the Pediatric Physical Therapy Journal. And she's a Catherine Worthingham Fellow of the APTA. Um, so we're here to talk about the STEP conferences, and we're going to start with um, New Step, uh, which happened in 1966. Um, so where were you then? In 66, I was a senior, rising senior in the physical therapy program at Russell Sage College. Happened during the summer, and we knew it was happening the spring before when we were juniors because uh, Dorothy Page, who mm. presented the Temple Fay approach, was one of my professors, and she had been preparing all year long for her presentation at Newstep. Wow, so you were aware of the conference even though you were still in PT school. And we'd been promised the textbook that was going to come out of it. We were told that we would have it before we graduated and they were right. We got it in February, uh, right before we went out on clinical assignments. And it was huge. That's amazing. So, so that speaks to the difference in technology between then and now, in that you have to wait for a textbook to come out to get the information. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a text. In fact, it was um, an issue of the American Journal of Physical oh, Medicine. great. It was their February issue. So the amazing part was that they produced 1,200 pages in from August until February. They got wow. it all, all the proceedings transcribed, edited, and into print by the following February. We're doing virtually the same thing and are all fussed up about it. Right. And we have so much more technology to support us. So wow. that's sort of, you know. So what was the state of PT practice like back then compared to now? Well... I was in New York State, and it was a, a state that was heavily dominated by physiatry. So we functioned um, as semi-professionals, I guess. Um, we considered ourselves professionals, but we were not given professional responsibility. Uh, we would get prescriptions for treatment. Of course, they were extremely vague, and we had to fill in the details. For example, <laughs> exercise. <laughs> and But we could not, you know, see anyone or do anything until we received the prescription. And if we wanted to change anything, then we had to go get additional permission and written orders and that kind of thing. But it became clear, even when you were a student, that the physicians did not know one quarter of what we did when it came time to figure out what the patient needed for the rehab program, whether it be neuro or ortho, depending. It didn't matter. Um, they were not aware of what exercises to prescribe, and they would ask physical therapists to come teach the residents how to prescribe. So we got a clue early on about who knew what about what, and it was easy to recognize that we were already in a leadership role when it came to uh, treating people with, you know, any kind of movement disorder. Thing. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
in your experience, how did New Step um, change the direction of practice or research? Well, at the time that um, New Step was conceived, it was conceived specifically for the purpose of bringing the profession up to date on what were called the neurofacilitation techniques. Right. And neurophysiology was budding at that point. It really was taking off as a discipline. It was a hot discipline, just like neuroscience is today. But it, uh, neurophysiology would be um, analogous to neuroscience. Um, neuroanatomy was still a pretty dead science, and they weren't doing any kind of microscopic studies. You know, nothing... I mean, the number of electron microscopes were tiny. So, you know, right. there wasn't a lot going on in that area. Um, so those uh, neurofacilitation techniques um, included, you know, Rude, Bobeff, Brunstrom, PNF, and Temple Fat. And what they were replacing was traditional exercise where um, patients were assumed to have volitional control, whether they did or not. They were treated as though they did. And so many of our um, treatments were not successful because the patients didn't have the capacity to pr participate in the program. And so um, they would do passive movement, sort of active assistive movement, as though they were going to just, you know... All of a sudden start all moving. All of a sudden start moving, yes. And that was... Um, what the major thrust of New Step was about was to get therapists so that they understood these approaches and could apply them in practice. And did they bring patient examples in, or well, that was before the day of video? Well, they took a lot of pictures. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that some of it was filmed. Um, they do have great pictures, great photography, right? And um, a lot of that still re resides at Northwestern because Jane Sullivan brought in some pictures. She didn't know that they had appeared in the in the uh, New Step proceedings. She said, "I have these great pictures from New Step." Wow! And I said, "Cool." So she scanned them, and I said, "Oh, they're the ones from the book." Wow. And she went, "Really." So they have, of course, a copy of the proceedings there, but she had never really been able to get into it, so she wasn't aware what the pictures were. And she had it in our opening um, for people to guess right. you know, where it was right. from and stuff like that. Well, for those of us who had the textbook, that was not difficult. I was like, <laughs> okay, this is a gimme question. Right. She was just asking me to recognize to photographs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, and the, those uh, ones that she had are sort of classic, so they weren't hard. So, um, so there, there was 24 years between New Step and Two Step. Yes. Why was that? We were waiting for what you would call a paradigm change. I think the paradigm change from traditional therapy, and uh, some of the exercise regimes also um, were disease-specific. Mm -hmm. For example, Frankel's exercises. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, there were a number of exercises that were what we called exercise regimes. And we had a therapeutic exercise book that had all those little regimes that included the dosage and the number of reps and all that kind of stuff, and you followed them precisely. You followed the book. Yeah, because if a physician, you know, ordered Frankel's, then you better know 
you know, exactly what Frankl's was and the progression and all that kind of stuff. Um, so this was where the therapists were being given their own permission to advance the patient in the newer approaches because you had to read the patient's response to your intervention and then move them forward. The examinations were sort of technique-specific, so if you were doing bow bath, you did an NDT eval. Well, they didn't call it NDT then. It they was just it purely bow bath. bath. And Brunstrom had her own examination for hemiplegia. Rude had um, a loosely conceived evaluation, which the principles of which um, anybody who had anything in Rude they'd be able to rattle it off and mm -hmm. create an evaluation based on the principles. So um, we were coming up with our own evals without physicians saying do range of motion, manual muscle testing, and a functional assessment. We were able to do that to plan our treatment. So it was a big paradigm shift to go to these neurophysiologically based approaches mm -hmm. compared to the ones that were really primarily designed for polio, in orthopedic cases. Mm -hmm. So so who who spurred on that decision to try to create two step and a group of drunken therapists <laughs> <laughs> including Pam Duncan and myself and Susan Adamire. Um, Susan uh, is still a practicing clinician in developmental disabilities. Um, uh, she works around Chapel Hill at one of the developmental centers, one of the big ones there. And Pam, of course, was in North Carolina at the time. Mm -hmm. And Pam and I were um, real involved in the neuro section at the time. I, Pam might have been vice president at the time, and I was president. And mm -hmm. so we sat down and we said, you know, it's time for another step conference, another new step. And we kept calling in another new step. And then, I don't know, by the end of the evening, we had two steps. <laughs> and we were, you know, we we thought, well, we got to get the sections to sponsor it, or maybe we can get some money from somewhere. And then we thought about it and quickly decided that times had changed and nobody was going to go to Chicago for four weeks. Right. So we decided that we had to take a different approach and we would design it. But we definitely wanted Pete's and Nora to collaborate on it because of... Both the other thing about the approaches um, that I didn't mention, being in heavily involved in peace, I should have. The um, peace component was all the emphasis on human development of movement, mm -hmm. which was not in our programs at that time. We didn't have what I would call motor development science in PT school then. So all the isn't that just amazing to think yes. about? Yes, it is. And uh, we had it because um, Dorothy Page was a real, uh, she was a CP therapist, and she was aware of these other approaches before they even had um, new steps. So we had development, and we read Myrtle McGraw, the first book I ever read cover to cover in one night, other than, well, textbook that I read cover to cover <laughs> in one night. Uh, because she assigned it and expected us to read it overnight. Wow. And so uh, she was a real developmental therapist. You know, there's no doubt about it. So 
that was the other part of it. It wasn't just the neurophysiology, but also the development. The and development. If you look in the book, you'll see that developmental science was in there. Were, there were a lot of fetal studies where we were trying to understand fetal movement and um, the, the initial uh, work that was done um, by touching um, aborted fetal, t you know, fetuses, which right. they were spontaneous abortions and things like that that they worked with, but they would touch them and do all sorts of things to try to find out where they would move and how they would move, and it was all documented um, in that sense. So they were, um, that part of it, um, particularly the, the uh, materials related to fetal development and early baby motor development was um, part of the New Step conference. Wow. So how long did New Step last? Well, New Step was four weeks. I'm sorry, Two Step. Two, two Step was um, about a week. Okay. Yeah, just about the same length as this. And um, so what was it like being co-chair of Two Step? Well, I was co-chair with Ellen Spake, and Ellen was president of the PEED section. I was president of NORO. That people would believe that they didn't, <laughs> but um, it was sort of easy. We each pulled people that we knew um, to sort of appoint them to activities. Now, some people say, "Well, where was Pam Duncan?" Pam Duncan had started her doctoral program, so she was not. Um, she wasn't able to be involved because of her. She was in public health doctoral right. program, so she couldn't really do it. And she said, well, while I'm in grad school, you should get this done. So, so were you able to sort of enjoy the conference in the middle of... Yes, it was. It was, uh, well, first of all, I think it's important to understand that Marty Ferretti, who is, um, I believe, still the program director at Oklahoma, mm -hmm. was our key contact. Um, and she was awesome. Even at that point, she was so highly respected at o at University of Oklahoma, mm -hmm. and she just was able to accomplish whatever we wanted. You know, it was amazing. Why Oklahoma? How did because the price was correct. <laughs> it was in the middle of the country, and um, we could have the dorms. Got it. We had all the facilities that we wanted to use, and like I said, the price was right. Yeah. So. Yeah. They were able to cater all the stuff for us, and the dorms were open, and we could walk from the dorms over to the conference Just like area. here. Just like here. That's great. Mm -hmm. There were no um, hotels, however. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the planning committee, committee got to stay in a couple sort of like um, retreat houses. I don't know what you would call them. They were... Mm. Little bungalows, yeah. Special houses Little, for... Yeah, for people like us. <laughs> so so in the, in the writings that refer to two-step, um, I, I want to I sort of congratulate you because one of the things that you are giving credit for is for this whole concept of... Um, reading the literature and how important it is for practitioners to to know the evidence which mm -hmm. now seems like you Fun know way. it's it's a it's a it, 
it's a given. Right. But back then, right. that was a novel concept. Right, to read the original work. Right. And some of that came from um, my own sort of upbringing as a baby faculty member, having gotten mm. a master's and things like that. And then, of course, my doctoral training. And there were a few of us at that time who had doctorates. So that was sort of one of the things that I think sometimes is misunderstood about two-step was the fact that we didn't invite outside scientists. <laughs> but in the context that we were functioning, New Step invited all the outside scientists. There weren't mm -hmm. any physical therapy scientists in the group at all. We were all practitioners and clinicians. Right. And, and so we're educators, so now we've got them. And so we went ahead and invited all our young scholars to right. be the presenters to highlight the work that was being done by physical therapists because we thought that people weren't as aware of mm -hmm. what we were beginning to accomplish. And so we were inviting those folks to present. And um, there was backlash later, you know, There's oh, you didn't invite these people, you know, okay, we can take it, you know. Mm -hmm. But well, these women had earned doctoral degrees in a time when it wasn't easy for women to get doctoral right. degrees. And right, So, yeah, we didn't have enough men, I think. can't remember all the things. But it, was a, it, was, um, it wasn't done, it was done to build the people who had gotten doctorates, not mm -hmm. to slight anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. mostly done to highlight what we had accomplished. So was there a speaker or a topic during two-step that that was particularly memorable for you? Well, I was excited about um, Carol Lee presenting the motor learning hmm. things. And that's partly because um, I sort of kicked Carol Lee's butt to get her to go back and get her <laughs> doctorate with um, Dick Schmidt. Um, when I was um, president of the Norris section, we had invited him, or not him, but George Stelmach, who was at the University of Wisconsin, Eric Roy, who did Apraxias, mm -hmm. um, he was in Canada, and a few other people to come in and do um, a sort of themed CSM on uh, motor learning. Mm -hmm. And I remember Carolee getting up at break and going, this motor learning stuff, where did this come from? Why didn't we learn this in PT school? Right. And uh, she was sort of disturbed that all this literature was out there and she didn't know anything about it. Where can I learn more about this? And I said, well, Dick Schmidt is right down the street, you know, because I think we were in L.A. Well, he was at least down the street from where she was working because she was at Rancho. Right. Um, and I said... You know, he's always looking for graduate students, Carol. <laughs> so I'm going to call him. And she did. So to me, I mean, that was history. the rest is history. And I think that was the coolest thing for me to see was that we were actually embracing that literature mm -hmm. and bringing it in because I knew how important it would be for our patients. So, yeah. yeah, that was the one that I really liked. Yeah. 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 So, so we all know what crazy people these peds and neuro people are. Can be, yes. Um, what did people do for entertainment, and what sort of hijinks happened? Well, there were some interesting things. Um, there were a lot of hijinks, but um, we planned um, 
two things that really stand out. One, Marty Ferretti planned, and that was to take the planning committee to this big um, rare book collection they had at the University of Oklahoma. An oil baron had given them a lot of money to buy rare books. And we got over and got to go into the room and turn pages in um, Newton's originally, original wow. book, Galileo. And she had the curator bring all these books out for us. to. And he actually asked us, well, what would you like to see? And so we could ask for just about anything, and they would bring it to us, and we could. And I That's remember. That's amazing. Yeah. I remember the gentleman who talked to us. Um, he was, he really left an impression on all of us. He said, um, we were explaining we were very, very much scientists, mm -hmm. you know. And he was explaining we were very, very much not scientists. <laughs> we were very, very much technicians. And he proceeded to explain to us that scientists um, love science just for the sake of loving it. They don't apply it to anything. Technicians apply science to solve problems. And I was sort of taken aback because we think wow. of ourselves as being very scientific. And he said, no, you're not there yet. And I was thinking, well, he's probably right because my driving, you know, force for the most part is how can I apply this? Right. What can I do with this information? How can I solve a problem with this? Yeah, exactly. So his point was well taken. But, um, and I think this is true of anybody who's going through a doctoral program, there come times when you just want to know because you want to know. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're being a scientist. You, you're not thinking ahead to how you're going to apply it, but you're saying, I really need to know this. I want to know just because it's darn interesting. Oh, the and other that, hijinks? Oh, yeah, tell me yeah. the other hijinks. Hijinks. So that wasn't exactly a hijink, but it was a highlight of extracurricular yeah. activities. We went to the Cowboy Hall of Fame. <laughs> Marty arranged that. And we went up and we had a big barbecue on the front lawn. And we sat out on the front lawn. And um, we instigated a little bit of singing from Oklahoma. <laughs> Thus, in the skit the other night, I said, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping. Right. That was what we were doing at Two Step, <laughs> singing on the lawn. And we had had, we were full of barbecue. It was really good. And we were singing at the top of our lungs. So that was memorable. I particularly remember Andrea Berman and Patty Leahy. And a lot of people don't remember Patty. I remember you remember Patty. Patty. Uh, only the, brief. The only two of them, yeah. the two of them singing at the top of their lungs and just having a ball, and then we did some square dancing kind of craziness. And wow. Yeah. So one other uh, fun and games we had was at the end of the conference, um, uh, Trish Montgomery, who was a SI therapist mm -hmm. for Minnesota, has done a lot of courses and so on. She was on the planning committee, and um, she led a session. I can't remember exactly what it was on. It could have been little bit on SI, but uh, she was a Oklahoma graduate and um, well known to Marty Ferretti, who was the program mm -hmm. director. And we got some scoop on Trish from when she was at OU. And uh, she, Trish is a very, very beautiful woman. And she was actually a beauty queen <laughs> when she was growing up. She was the sweetheart of Sigma Chi. 
when she was at um, OU and got to dance with the guy who played Dr. Kildare on all the old oh, wow. runs and stuff. And so we had pictures that uh, Marty was able, able to produce out of her yearbooks that we put up on the screen and Trish was like dying, absolutely dying. But we got a full scoop of her student life at OU. And she's uh, never forgiven us, but we had great pictures. Um. Um, so tell me about, I mean, you've had an amazing professional journey I mean, I don't even know where we could start, but one of the things that I am curious about is um, where did you start as a clinician and then how did you make that leap into research? Well, um, I started at um, what's now Helen Hayes Hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, uh, I went there for my, one of my affiliations and absolutely loved it. And it was when they did not have disability teams. So when we went there, we went on to a general team. We saw every kind of disability, orthopedics, neurology, cardiorespiratory. It was all mushed together. Peds were mixed in with adults. There was no specialization whatsoever. It was a nice background. But at the time that we were doing that, um, Brunstrom was there because she was writing her book, and she was a consultant for our staff. So. Um, we were actively involved in sort of learning from her and helping find patients to illustrate the book. And she had also gotten a grant from New York State to train nurses um, to take care of patients who had stroke in their homes because wow. there weren't enough rehab beds for them. Rehab was relatively small, and if you were in a small community in New York State, you wouldn't have access to rehab. So. Um, we were involved a little bit in helping her develop that coursework, piloting it, and that kind of thing. And so it was fun to work with her. So I was charmed from the beginning to be able to work with somebody like her. And then three years after I w started working, the Bobas were coming to the States to do their first course on the East Coast. And they were doing it at Helen Hayes. Wow. So um, interestingly enough, no one in that PT department wanted to devote eight weeks in the summer to any kind of course unless maybe it was PNF. Wow. So there was a lack of um, knowledge of uh, Bobas approach mostly because we had a separate CP department mm. in the hospital. They wouldn't mix the children with CP and with the rest of the children and uh, as though it were contagious. So um, the CP department was um, one that needed change, and so there was no one in the CP department who wanted to take a path course wow. because they were all into rude. And the people would get into camps and they wouldn't cross-fertilize. So um, that's why New Step was good. New Step was still new, but at least you were learning about all of them. You know? right, so, right. Uh, so anyhow, I said, I'll go. I mean, you know, I was one of those people who thought, any opportunity, I'm right. taking it, you know. So I went in and talked to the director of the hospital, and I said, I would love to go. And she said, okay, you're going then, because nobody else is going. They don't want to go. And I said, well, I do. And she said, okay. So she talked to the Bobas. They didn't want me in the course because I hadn't been treating children exclusively. 
And then she said to them, well, if you want the course at this hospital. So she went to bed for me, and the Boas said, okay. Wow. So I got to take it, and I got to take it with um, Bo ba- or Brunstrom sitting beside me in the course. Who? I know. <laughs> what it an was amazing classic. opportunity. It was, it was classic. And um, so that really sort of turned me on to those mm-hmm. approaches. I was particularly intrigued in taking the Bobe, of course, with the um, uh, writing and equilibrium reactions, mm-hmm. something that we really didn't get very much in PT school. We had glimmers of it, but um, Dorothy Page, as good as she was, she was not as familiar with Bobeth as she was with Rood mm-hmm. and PNF and Temple Tech. So we didn't get a lot of Bobeth. So I was pretty excited about that. And um, I learned a lot from them, a whole lot. Um, but when it came to interacting with patients, um, even children, I thought Brunstrom had more charisma. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, she connected with her patients. Um, mm-hmm. Berta could get a child to do anything, whether they wanted to or not. And so it was the whether they want to or not that used to bother me a little bit. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was a different, it was two different personas. Now, um, Bobeth was great at handling. She was awesome. And um, so was Brunstrom. You know, so it was, it was amazing what you can learn. Yeah, so I stayed there for seven years, then went down to Atlanta um, as director of the CP Center in Atlanta, was there for a brief time, um, just a little under a year because of a family death. And so I moved back up to the Northeast and then decided that I wanted to go to grad school or med school or some school. I wasn't sure what. And um, I looked around for graduate programs and finally decided on Medical College of Virginia because I really wanted to get an MS as opposed to um, a college teaching degree, which is another option. Mm -hmm. And part of it was because I could envision possibly a PhD Mm -hmm. and thought that the science background would probably be better. So I went to Medical College of Virginia. And um, it's as a result of being there that the school director, Suzanne Hurd, who um, was a former president of APTA, Mm -hmm. Uh, Sue said, well, times are changing, and if you're going to really be an academician and you like research because you did nice work for your master's degree, you're going to need a PhD. (laughs) This was in 76 that she said that, Wow, which was amazing. And one of my, actually my master's professor, I was out on a sabbatical to get his doctorate at Maryland, and she said, you're next. And the thing that was so amazing about it is we had a foundation at the medical college that paid for faculty sabbaticals in higher ed. So I had my tuition paid for and was on half salary while I did my doctorate. Wow. They paid for the whole thing. And um, I owed them four years. That's all they, I'm like, four years? And I kept it's cheap. Right. Really cheap. Right. So I could go anywhere I wanted and all that kind of stuff. So I went to the University of Wisconsin so I could do more on describing the movement patterns that Mm -hmm. I was interested in. I had tried three-dimensional cinematography for my master's, but our technology was not 
where it needed to be to answer my questions. I was interested in non-planar movements. I was not interested in gait, you know. Right. I wanted to look at things where people rotated, rotated. To, to stand up and roll over and get out of bed and so on. And, and we really did not have camera systems that were in PT departments that we could afford to be able to do that. Maybe in an engineering department um, in some universities they might have it. So um, I kept thinking, well, I want to know the answer to these questions. So until we get the technology, maybe I'll just do the descriptive approach. And Marianne Roberton at Madison was doing what I wanted to do. So I went up there and learned that technique from her. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that started? That started my research program, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And my students, uh, you know, there's a lot to be attributed to them because they picked it up like, you know, bees and honey and them would just get involved in it. So. so, like you said earlier, it's, you know, people might be surprised to hear that you are the president of the neurology section because right. you're so well known for your work in pediatrics. Right. Um, but what el what other... Um, research or clinical work have you done with the broader age timeline? Oh, well, I did a lot with stroke and spinal cord when I first um, was at Haverstraw. I was on their first stroke team. I was on their first spinal cord injury team and on their first TBI team. Wow. And then when I was down at MCV, I also had done a lot of P-Dorth. Mm -hmm. So, um, I continued some Pete Orth down at um, MCV because I could work outpatients at night and stuff. And um, we actually had a grant on TBI coming to standing, rolling, and all that kind of stuff when I was down there. So um, I I was back and forth between doing a lot of scoliosis with kids. You know, I loved scoliosis treatment. So I did that at, at night for private practice when I was in New York. Mm -hmm. I used to see a lot of private clients at night. So, uh, you know, I had my fingers in those things. In a lot of pots. Yes. Because they were all fun. Yeah. You know? They were all fun. Yeah. So, um, having been um, the editor of the Pediatric Sections Journal, um, how have you seen that change over time and, and the submissions change over time? Well, when I started... <laughs> Um, it w it's always been quarterly, and when I started, I used to beg on my hands and knees for people to write articles so that I would have three in each issue. That was my goal, Wow! to have three in each issue. And sometimes I had to help write them to get them done. Um, but over time, I noticed in about four or five years, we're getting four. <laughs> I could actually <laughs> plot out that we might have four uh, next year we might have four in every issue. And then before I knew it, oh, I have an extra one. I can put five in this issue. So it grew gradually. And um, Toby, the, the editor who, who uh, started the journal, Toby had gone in to get indexed. Um, and probably, uh, in hindsight, we both know it was before our time. We should not have even tried that. But the um, National Library used to have a ban on reapplications for at least 10 years. Oh, wow. If you got turned out. And you had to have 10 years of, you know, solid work. And a, a lot of people don't understand it, but three-quarters of it is the timeliness of the journal coming out, 
the subscription base. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot to it other than the quality. Quality is measured in other ways, mm -hmm. other than when you're whether you're indexed. So, indexing is like saying, okay, you paid your taxes. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of thing. Um, so it's just a given in many scientific fields. So we had to wait, and then our um, publishing company has to do a lot of work to get that done because a lot of the information that's required comes from them. And they were not forthcoming. <laughs> you know, they were not all supportive and all that kind of, oh, well, if you don't get, you know, you're not going to get it again for right. another 10 years. And some of that was just bunk, and it took a while to figure out that it was just bunk. And so when we went back in, we got, you know, we finally got indexed. And so, so when were you indexed? Oh, um, gosh, that's a good question. See, long-term memory is good, short-term memory is good. You know, probably 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's about then. And so submissions flew up, and now we're up to 15 to 16 in that's fabulous. And we became international, which I'm very proud of. Yes. Um, and that's a result of, I had always thought that it would be fun to be recognized, not necessarily um, the journal of another association, but to be recognized by our international peers that the journal had something to offer. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and to that end, I decided, well, um, I'll talk to some of my colleagues and see who might be good to come on the editorial board. I wanted a Canadian, and mm -hmm. I wanted somebody from Europe. So Paul Helders from um, Utrecht in the Netherlands has been on our board ever since I tried to internationalize, and then I've always had Canadians on the mm -hmm. board. And um, actually, uh, Paul finally said, why don't we do a partnership and have PPT be our official journal? Really cool idea, Paul. Let's go for it. <laughs> and we literally got it done in about two months. That's great. Yeah, so that was then the model, and then we've had um, four other groups, you know, do it. And plus, uh, the Taiwanese um, group are translating the articles. Um, they start with abstracts, and then if there's high interest, they go ahead and do then the whole do article. The whole, wow. Mm -hmm. um, so... So what, what do you think has been the most rewarding thing that you've done in your career? I think teaching, having grad students. I mean, what's not rewarding about that? It really is absolutely rewarding. And um, my grad students, I just love them. I mean, mm -hmm. I absolutely love them. Um, and the, the entry-level students, I mean, they come from all over the place. I, one time, a student came up and said, Dr. Vancey, it's so good to see you. And I'm jumping up and down. How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I said, what year did you graduate? She says, I'm still in school with you right now. <laughs> so, you know, you see enough of them, and all right. of a sudden they blend together. But right. it's really sort of fun to see them get involved and, mm -hmm. you know, and make their mark. And So I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Looking back on your career, is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, I don't know. I think um, I might have probably, if possible, if we had had 
the money available. I might have worked harder to get federal grants, mm -hmm. but a couple of people told me I was going to be very unhappy because there wasn't money to support what I was doing. So I think just getting foundation grant, you know, and things like that. And I, and I was able to be included on some projects and stuff like that. But um, that the funding, I guess if there was anything I could do differently, I have no control of it, I would have been born later. <laughs> I was born too early. You know, so I would have loved to have gotten a big federal grant and yeah. to have done, uh, had, you know, expanded all this stuff and getting up and gotten into the high-tech stuff and, you know. But, you know, in hindsight, you know, it sort of wasn't the time. You know, right. we didn't have those resources, so... But it's fun to watch it happen now, I'll yeah. tell you. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. I was thinking about the robotics. I can't it's, wait to come to Five Step. Now, I'm not going to have anything to do with organizing it or <laughs> any of that stuff, I promise you. But I want to be there, and I want to see particularly in that area what's yeah. happened. Yeah. It's just fascinating. It's, it's, it's exciting to it think is. about where we're headed. I know. And I don't think we have any clue no. what's coming because, you know, it's like this. You know, what were we doing? We were doing Pokemon at the opening thing, and Jason showed me how to do Pokemon, and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Um, so, what do you do for fun? Um, well, I'm retired, so that's all fun. Um, I'm a gardener, big time mm -hmm. gardener. I do master gardening for, I did that before I uh, retired. I was a master gardener at, um, in Pennsylvania for 15 years, and then redid the coursework in North Carolina because we have very different soil down there. Yes. And so I had to learn how to work with clay to do things other than make pots. So I had to make soil out of clay, mm -hmm. which was interesting. And um, I also am a birder. So uh -huh. I do a lot of birding. And I'm starting to take up photography to go along with the birding. And so I take a lot of courses. like. I take ornithology courses through Cornell, and I take a lot of um, horticultural classes through NC State. So those are the things. And so then a little doing, photography here So you're there. doing all the things you should be doing for successful aging, all this I guess, learning. yeah, yeah. And I also um, am actively involved in the Trot for Tykes stuff that Cindy Miles oh, runs. Oh, that's neat. I go up every year and do her 10K. and. Mm -hmm and do races here and then. There, she got me to do a half marathon. <laughs> I've done a couple of them. I've done three, actually. The one, the last one I did, I was like, I'm not so sure, because that was uh, Tower of Terror. It was a night run through the swamps at Disneyland. And the more I know now of what I didn't know then, <laughs> I don't think I'd go in the swamps at Disneyland anymore. That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll stay on the road in the daytime, right. you know? That's wonderful. Well, thank you so You're much. You're welcome.